0: This show is part of the Pika Science Podcast, studying the intersection of video games and science.
1: Hey everyone, it's Madison. I want to say welcome back, and we hope you enjoyed the break and got caught up. And that next week we have a plethora of announcements and surprises for you in store. And I cannot wait to share everything with you that we have been working on. It's been quite a bit. So I'm very excited to share all sorts of big announcements with you next week. And in the meantime, enjoy this episode, and we'll see you back next time. Thanks. Coming to you live from a radio tower near you, studying the intersections of video games and science. This is
2: Science.
0: Welcome, everyone, to a special Q&A episode of Pika Science. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ray, scientist, artist, and Pokefan. I'm joined by some of my fellow co-hosts today, who are...
2: Kirsten, who is a scientist and Pokefan, too. And Chelsea,
3: um, also a Pokefan and scientist,
0: our special guest today, who we welcome back to the show, is Max Reynolds, a master's candidate at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He's joining us today after his debut episode of Pika Science titled Converging Divergencies to answer some listener questions related to evolution and Pokemon. Well then, shall we, my dear co-hosts and guests, get started?
1: Let's do it. Woot woot. Yeah, let's go.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I was That's a- okay.
0: I also have like a bazillion say, yeah. tabs. It's good. <laughs> so I think... Uh, that's Chelsea first, if you would like to begin.
3: So Will, whose favorite Pokemon is Dwebble, which actually is just a really adorable Pokemon. They asked why did Wiglet evolve to be white? Surely its shiny form would make more sense. Yeah, we talked a lot
1: a little bit about um parallel evolution of Wiglet and Wugtrio last episode. Um I don't know. I was a little stuck on this because animals just have tons of different phenotypes to match their environments. And to me, the sand in Paldea kind of looks more white than yellow. So I think white could totally make sense. And so I think it does make more sense that it's white and maybe it's shiny is kind of the
3: odd one out. But that's my opinion.
2: I agree. The sand does seem like really white when you're like traveling on it, for sure.
3: I do also feel like there is the added benefit of like you know the fact that it's shiny and white, it could reflect light off of it so it makes it a little bit harder to spot when you're looking like towards the sea that is also reflecting light yeah makes sense
1: i absolutely get that too it's a good question yeah and mice they see we see a lot of like changes with uh coat colors with like lava patches being darker so they exhibit kind of like darker color so i think we're just gonna have to trust that wiglet knows best and it wants to match the white sand
0: is is Wiglet technically supposed to be in the water, or is it exclusively in the sand?
3: That's a good question. I think it's in the water. Okay. I think it's supposed to be both. I think it can be both. It's always like near the shore, very close to the water. But since this game doesn't have a dive mechanic like the other one does, we can't say that it exclusively lives in the water. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: It said it can like sniff out like the water psychic fish. I think that's Valooza, So. Which would be in the water, so yeah, both.
2: I guess you know when I think about it, if it's like really embedded in both, it's probably like only going to be super adapted to, like basically super waterlogged soil slash sand, right? You know, like some plants like have to be like in really fast draining uh, soil. I guess it's something kind of similar, it's like very very salty water. Super cool.
0: Yeah, I bring it up because I think about some fish that have like their white bellies. Or when you're looking at fish in the water from from like the bottom up, it looks more like the. The top of the water and the sun, and like that's why fish. Some fish have white bellies, but also I'm just thinking maybe like Wigglyt is trying to blend into like certain surroundings in the water that I'm not aware of. Yeah, that's a but good point knows? too. Like
1: maybe looking at the water glare makes it want to be extra white. You know, from a an aerial perspective.
0: So the next question we have is sent in by Silver, whose favorite Pokemon is Dunsparce, and Silver asks, "What Pokemon, in your opinion, deserves to have a baby evolution like Igglybuff?" Tyrogue and Toxel that doesn't currently have one. And this person thinks Torkoal.
1: That's like the cutest answer. And then there's that new for the DLC, the turtle-ish Pokemon that was just kind of revealed to us to have a first form evolution compared to the one that's like on the cover, you know, the crystal-like uh tortoise. So it's good timing for that, I guess. Um, I don't really love a lot of the baby Pokemon. But I was thinking along those same lines, like maybe back to Gen three, like Tropius would be really cute, like a little baby Brontosaurus. Yeah, what do y'all think?
3: Yeah,
2: I guess one thing that we should be thinking about is, you know, like kind of putting this from like an evolutionary perspective, like a grounded in like biological evolution. Um, maybe we, like one way of like phrasing is like, you know, and what sort cert- like why do some animals change throughout development, and others don't, right? Some animals are going to like say or organisms will stay the same size, and others will change significantly throughout their life. So I guess like what kind of what kind of rationale or like evolutionary evolutionary rationale would kind of determine that
0: of like having a baby pokemon?
2: Uh, yeah. Or you know, just like looking very different when you're young versus bigger when you're or you know, yeah, just like different when you're old. Maybe like it's really like ontogenetic change. Ontogenic change, <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Um, I was more so like, what's cute? And what do I want to see in a little form? But you're totally right. Uh, So yeah, (laughs) onto genetic shifts, or if people who are not familiar, it's a very complicated word to just describe like a little an animal, like a larval bass species kind of eating different um, animals and living in a different area than it does when it's more sexually mature and an adult. So we see this a lot with like, so they don't overlap directly on top of each other with certain insects. So like animals that have um, like a pupa stage, like a, or we could say like a caterpie eating something different than like a butterfly. So there's not a good overlap between the adults and the juveniles. So that can be a good way to like ensure kind of like generational success. Um, but yeah, so, but some of the babies look so similar that maybe they would overlap a lot.
2: True. I can imagine that. They all look kind of just like, at least like the Pokemon, they're all just like, you know, kind of fluffy, fluffier, just uh, circular versions of the original. That's like the same
1: color. But a Pokemon, I was thinking back to Paldea that could have like, not no ontogenetic shift would be um, Mousehold and tandem Mouse. you know, it's like the exact same. They're just kind of grouping up. And so they are, there's a
0: direct overlap between the adult and the previous one. Yeah, there's an instance of it um, with urchins where I think the way that it used to for, – for sea urchins, so pink urchin is uh, an example of what a sea urchin looks like, and it's based off of sea urchins. So there's actually a population of adults or a, a population or a species of sea urchins that they're young, so their offspring look like tiny urchins, but then there's a um, different species that has larval forms that look completely different. And so that, like, that's an instance of um, – where it's easier to have a bunch of like thousands and thousands of more different looking babies that can swim through the water than it is to have like a small amount of like tiny babies that look like you to survive this environment. And so that's, that's, that's what I think about when I like see this question and when we start seeing um, Pokemon getting these pre evolutions is like, Oh, something potentially is happening where it's like more beneficial to have like the younger version or, or the not younger, but the smaller, like, Different um, form of it that helps it survive in this environment.
1: Yeah, Ray or Chelsea, do you have like a favorite that you'd love to see have
3: a smaller, cuter, cuddlier form? Um, I think definitely just just Tropius. Tropius is like one of my favorite Pokemon uh to so to agree with you like i there's an island um in lake uh gosh i'm forgetting the name of the lake uh, in the new pokemon game and it, there's just a bunch of tropius on it and i spend a lot of time on that island just like catching all of them trying to find a shiny i my next team is just going to be a team of tropius if there was a baby tropius i would just have a team of baby tropius I, there's nothing scientific behind this it's just a very good pokemon
0: I want baby Kangaskhan to be named because we see it, but it's oh, never talked about.
3: I know.
1: I'm
0: so
2: cute.
1: Yeah, that would be amazing.
2: Um, if you don't mind me going on to the next question, um, everyone. Uh, so Kenzie, whose favorite Pokemon is Sylveon, asks, what forces would be at play to lead to living organism that would adapt to having rock or geological-like skin, such as rock Pokemon like Onyx, etc. Mainly, mainly onyx is what I'm thinking. And how would this process work?
1: Any thoughts, guys? Yeah, um, we talked a little bit about kind of armor formation. Um, The fish that I study three spine stickleback kind of loses armor when it's no longer faced with that pressure of having a large predator in the lake or stream or um tributary that it's in um so it has this armor in the presence of like a predator that could eat it so that's kind of the route that i was thinking about this question uh so armor for predator defense but i think you bring up a great point with onyx and like a rock type pokemon that they may develop it to like burrow uh thinking of like ortho worm or something like that where they're in this extreme environment not necessarily like species interactions but with the environment itself
2: I mean, you bringing that up, like a stickleback shedding its armor when it's no longer in the presence of predator predators. Imagine like an onyx just shedding off its rocks and there's like a really weird wiggly little snake or something underneath. <laughs> Once all like the bat Pokemon, Yeah.
1: What is that move? Shell smash where it like oh lowers God. all of its defenses a yeah. bit faster. Oh. Just like that. But then it gets really like naked. That'd be funny. Oh, so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, people are interested in knowing more. The last episode we did with Austin Waddle, um, dude with chemistry is what it's called. I think we talk a little bit about that as well. What are some of the possibilities and where we see that happening in real life?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I guess we do have like, you know, we do have a lot of like real life analogs with you know, not rock skin, but really, really hard skin. Like, you know, we have like rhinoceroses, elephants. A lot of animals just have like really, really tough skin. Even obviously not
1: as... Pangolins as well. with their
2: scales.
1: Yeah.
0: The next question is from Nick, whose favorite Pokemon is Turtwig. What are your thoughts on the idea that Pokemon in the wild evolved to fill an ecological niche?
1: Yeah, this one was interesting. Um they also mentioned how like in there's one anime episode with a really old Trico and you see it has like a cane. It's really precious. Um, and kind of like, why does that Trico not evolve further on? I think it's a really good question. And like, I think of Scarlet and Violet cause it's just on my mind. I've also been doing some of the terror raids again. So I'm, It's at the front of everything. But like when you encounter like one group of Pokemon, there's often like an Ampharos, like a single one, and then like a bunch of little Mareep, like it's kind of like protecting them in this family dynamic. So that's where I'm thinking like, why do some Pokemon not evolve? And it's maybe like the Ampharos is taking care of them. And if you capture it, then maybe like the next Mareep kind of moves along. We see that with like Clownfish, where they don't become male, is it right? They don't become male until the... They're all born female, and the rest is drag. And then um, they don't become they don't become a male until that kind of leading female goes away. Any thoughts?
2: I, I think that's a, yeah. I think that's like a, a good idea in general. I guess you know that's one definitely one way of thinking about it in terms of like you know these these organisms not evolving and i guess i'm also thinking like i feel like there's a pretty good consistency in the pokemon world of like you know when you go to an icy region there's going to be like icy looking pokemon you know or when you go to like different or you know maybe i'm just looking at this wrong like the whole evolution i'm thinking like evolving i I guess like there's yeah you're looking at it like either like evolving because i'm also thinking just like their existence is like an artifact of evolution sorry cut that i was like
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think they were, like, asking about, like, why, like, the level 50 tentacool wouldn't become a Tentacruel. And I was thinking, yeah, like, a parent taking care of its offspring or, like, group dynamics. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I guess it's, if we think about Pokemon level as being age, mm-hmm. it kind of makes some sense where, like, you have Pokemon that have been around for a long time. And so they have these high levels. It was only this past couple weeks that I learned that there's a um, a level 100 gyarados apparently in some in one of the games that you can catch and it's like within us it's in like a resort or something in the resort pond and it's like oh it's if it's the only pokemon there or like the only high level pokemon there that's been around for a long time like it makes sense that it filled that niche by by just existing and living off of whatever else is in there and it's the strongest so it's the apex predator Mm. but it's hard yeah it's hard for me to think about it uh, of how it directly translates but i like your idea too max
1: Yeah, I'd have to do some fact checking on the clownfish, but kind of like unless there's a need to kind of be the top um, like in the group, I guess, you know, like not all ants are reproducing or not all bees are reproducing. Mm -hmm. They're just letting that be to the queen and her consorts. And so like everyone else, if you imagine like the non mating ants are like level first stage evolution and then the next or second stage evolution like until the need arises, they kind of stay at the first because it makes it seem really easy. But I would imagine that like, Oh yeah, go ahead.
2: Oh no. It's just like what what we're bringing up. It's like, you know, yeah, like maybe the smaller Pokemon, uh, maybe they use less resources and B, maybe evolution is also like energetically costly. And, you know, like there's not enough room in the group for everyone, for all the Pokemon to to evolve because like there's not enough resources in the area. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking, that it's probably really energetically costly, even mm-hmm. though it doesn't seem like it in the game. So mm-hmm. that it's, it's da- like a stressful event. Yeah. And it's yeah. so long.
3: Yeah.
1: I was just playing let's- Pokemon Sun again. Bar. And like, yeah, the evolution, like a uh, little clip for it is like 40 seconds long mm-hmm. each time.
2: Honestly, I have to watch the whole thing, though. I just got so excited. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. For that answer, Max. Um, so, I so we have uh, several questions coming up uh, from Justin, whose favorite Pokemon is Dragonite, and I thought I thought this question was just so interesting and cool. Um, uh, so, what what forces? The first question that uh, that they asked is what forces would cause a creature like Blastoise to evolve and develop water cannons, and how could that happen through natural selection?
1: Yeah, Kirsten, you seemed really excited. Do you want to <laughs> take a quick stab?
2: <laughs> oh, my God. I saw this question. I was like, Max, I can't wait for us to talk about this. This is so cool. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. But, well, okay. Sorry, guys. I just uh, I have to interject and just give my feelings about this because, you know, Blastoise is just super, super cool. And there are a few different analogs in nature. Like, When you can go to Wikipedia page that's called projectile use by non uh, by non human organisms, and they have a lot of different examples. Like you know, like we've all heard of, like for example, there's lizards. If I'm not mistaken, that can shoot blood from their eyes, right? Um, And there's other organisms that you know can shoot out poison or toxins. And my understanding that the mechanisms of how this happens is like different depending on what group we're talking about. But I guess. My, my, the thing that I'm imagining, which might not be, you know, how much of this is going to be grounded in reality, really, is like I'm imagining there's some kind of like sack or something behind the cannons that can be like executed really, really fills up with water and then would like contract to thrust out the water at like a really high speed. But I definitely recommend checking out that, uh, this page, there's a lot of examples, there's like the pistol shrimp which can just, like, punch basically really, really, really fast underwater. There's uh, the archerfish that has a mouth like a squirt gun that can shoot a jet of water up to five feet. Look at those videos on YouTube. They're amazing.
1: Yeah, like, I guess if Blastoise was just too slow, even though when it starts spinning, it's pretty fast. Um, but, True. yeah, to maybe, like, make out, like, if Blastoise is also, like, a predator at the top of the food chain or food web that – um to kind of like shoot down its prey so it can kind of get after them
2: yeah and you know it's interesting that whole thing about, like yeah like blastoise actually moves pretty fast It's like the same thing as like hippos because like hippo, you you wouldn't expect the hippo to be super fast but those they can go like 20 miles an hour um so it's just very awesome
0: kind of going off going off of that uh, it's like we also assume that blastoise is like shooting just pure water at people but maybe it's Ooh. like a weird blastoise fluid that it creates. Oh that no. I'm sure if we were going to analyze it, it we'd find some blastoise yeah. DNA. <laughs> I think about this because you brought up the lizard shoot, like shooting blood out of their eyes, and I yeah. think about other creatures that like shoot things or okay. like, uh, like projectile things. It's. I wonder if it's like a blastoise produced fluid, then that's uh, water like weird. It's like a mucus. or something. where is it com- Where is the water coming from? Or maybe it like uh, it like drinks water and then like it has an organ that like puts water into like or. <gasps> A fluid back into like a separate bag and what, then that's what, what, what if it it's like a bladder yes yes like a, it has like a water bladder
2: i was thinking just a bladder. <laughs>
0: Sorry. oh yes that, <laughs> that, that's another possibility
2: because
0: <laughs> like that to me that makes sense of like how it could yeah. evolve like a a separate organ for that
2: yeah maybe it's just like a dialysis tube <laughs> it's just like the
0: oh my god that is too funny
2: uh, so uh, Justin asked, the uh, second question Justin asked is, what could theoretically cause a Pokemon like Eevee to develop the ability to evolve slash metamorphize uh, into different things? For example, like what might may have caused it, the adaptation to actually change into like a variety of different branches of evolutions, as opposed to one thing like Magikart, for example, which will evolve into Gyarados?
1: Yeah, I was super jazzed about this question because, like I mentioned, the fish that I studied, three spine stickleback, and kind of it has um, armor and spines in some environments where there are predators and some where there's not. There's also a bunch of different, uh, we call them ecotypes. So, like when an animal can kind of modify its um, morphology or phenotype what it looks like into extreme variations depending on the environment that it's in or like the predators around it or um, any number of variables or things interacting with it and so like it looks different when there's when it's in a lake versus a stream versus the ocean versus a lake with predators or a lake without predators a whole host of things and so I kind of view my fish as like a little Eevee, yeah, analog, Mm. um, where depending on its environment, it's changing so much. And we see this with not only color, um, size, uh, aggression levels in animals. So I think it's a fantastic question. Do you guys have any of your own favorite examples or other thoughts on kind of like maybe the standing variation, the standing genetic variation of an Eevee uh, being selected in different ways?
2: I really like that that use of the standing genetic variation. Like they just might have so much more variation than uh, other Pokemon. Really mobile genomes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's a... If we... This person brings up the idea of like metamorphosis. And I, in my field of developmental biology, we talk about that a lot. And so I had a friend who once referred to uh, these uh, evolution stones or... Like the sunstone and stuff has like morphogen stones uh, because it morphogen is like once an animal is like exposed to a certain type of environment or a certain type of chemical, they can go through like a very drastic change. So in urchins, when you had like these larval forms, when the larval form would get to a certain stage, it would land at the bottom of the ocean and it would be in contact with certain algaes. And there was some type of signal from the algae that told it to turn into an adult. And so it would metamorphosize into mm. uh, a full adult sea urchin. And so there's like a couple examples of that, too. And I think you see um, you see that in nature all the time with like the seasons where fish or other things will get different um, amounts of sunlight or different temperatures. And that'll be like a cue or a signal for them to go through a drastic change or to do something like spawn. So it's pretty it's pretty drastic and Evie seems pretty drastic, but I don't I don't <laughs> there's probably not the same amount of flexibility in the, the real life world that Evie has for being these 17 different things.
3: <laughs> Another, I feel like a less extreme example of that in Pokemon is just like um, Wormpole. Oh. Wormpole can either evolve into uh, Butterfree or that other one I'm forgetting the name of. Dustox or Beautify? Yes. Yes, Beautify, sorry. Yeah, it, it's it, it depends on, like, the environment is what causes it to evolve into one or the other. It still just starts off from the same Pokemon. But I feel like Eevee is not, like, a very... F- not super far-fetched as as a Pokemon, thinking fr- about it from an evolutionary standpoint and thinking about it from ecotypes, because, uh, sorry for yet another Anol mention in <laughs> yet another episode, <laughs> Um Noel's- do have that that ability and that affinity for ecotypes where you know it's not completely a different species, it's still the same species. However, they look very different or they have different morphology depending on where they are. Like with the Anoles from my home island, there's like several different geographic variations. Um, One of them is actually a lot smaller than the others would be because that is better suited for the environment that it's in. But they can still all interbreed. They're still like the same species. They just look different and act different depending on where they are. And you
1: know what? I think that also brings up a really good example of, depending on who you ask, what Evie's based on, if it's a cat, a dog, or a fox, or a mixture of all three, (laughs) kind of like the amount of selective breeding that humans have, you know, done to dogs and cats and other animals too. But like how we have all of these very diverse dog breeds that can still interbreed Mm. with each other. So kind of... I know I just actually just watched I'm rewatching some Pokemon episodes and Eevee and Espeon episode with in some one of the newer ones and kind of like in reaction to their human and their trust and like love that they have for their trainer turning into either Evie or Espeon or Umbreon based on the time of day so mm. kind of another analog for that where we're kind of putting some pressures into their large amount of standing variation
3: Okay, so Justin is not done yet. He has (laughs) even more questions. Um, The next one is, can you explain ghost-type Pokemon from an evolutionary standpoint? How can something be an adaptation if they're dead? I thought a lot
1: about this question. (laughs) And I still don't have a good answer. And I can try to stumble through one because I think it's a really good point. And I was trying to see what other people have talked about for Pokemon biology about them. And there were theories of like a ghost type cell that like ghost type Pokemon had that kind of unified them into a group um, that allowed them to like pass through physical matter and stuff like that. But I think we all obviously know Pokemon are fake and there's a lot of like magic and lore that we just what? are outside our universe of what? understanding. How dare you? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like this anymore. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I came <laughs> on as a guest and
3: I uh, <laughs> ruined you're the bashing. franchise. <laughs> like you're telling a kid that Santa isn't real.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, Pokemon could be real. Maybe they're just on another planet. We can leave it like that. Um Thank Ash you. is out there. Like my whole life has been televised and I've never aged a day. But I was thinking, you know, I was looking at a few Pokedex entries and like Poltegeist for one sticks out to me where it says it lives in a teapot. And so even though we consider them to be dead, I think there's like a certain element where we're just looking at things that are maybe unknown. Like people have always struggled to kind of classify organisms. And so I'm imagining like ghost type Pokemon. Some of them may truly be dead kind of reanimations of things. Like we talked about uh, Cursula and Corsula on the last episode of how, like, this climactic event killed all the Corsola, and so they were so vengeful that they turned into Kursula. Um so... so, like, maybe we see instances of like that, but, like, Guys just lives in, like, unused teapots, and so, like, maybe it's just something that likes to live near humans, and we're confused by it, so we just call it a ghost type.
0: Hmm.
1: I don't know. It's very tricky. I like that. But they're some of my favorite Pokemon, maybe because they're so mysterious.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like the more we learn about science and like how the world works it's especially with like viruses bacteria and fun fungi it's like if you think about zombies the idea is like it's a virus that's reanimating a corpse and like maybe like these are viruses that are affecting like a pokemon that did pass away Mm -hmm. and there should be a category of pokemon viruses or something like that or um even though like the last of us talking about pokey virus It's like that. That's where it gets a little bit more into the sci-fi, but it 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 does feel like it could be feasible in some type of way. It's like the quote from uh from like Thor. It's like just advanced advanced enough technology is like looks like magic to some people.
1: Yeah, maybe we lack the scientific understanding to really describe ghost type Pokemon in the Pokemon multiverse. (laughs) I truly think that ghosts exist even if that's a little unscientific of me. So I'm of the mindset, like, maybe there's another dimension. Maybe we just don't have the tools, you know, Mm -hmm. like trying to describe what a cell looked like before the microscope. Yeah. Like that blew some Mm -hmm. people's worlds. So when we have the radio imaging or whatever it is to look up ghosts, we'll come back to this episode.
2: Like it could just be like beyond our perceptual capabilities.
3: right. So... We have Justin's last question here. Question about Dojuo and Dugtrio. So they're asking, how might a creature evolve to have more than one head like dojuo and Dugtrio? And how is that beneficial? Wouldn't they fight? Wouldn't the heads fight with each other?
1: Yeah, at first I was thinking that maybe they don't have two brains. They just share a single brain. Um... But then their Pokedex entry specifically says that they have two brains with different personalities. And I think we can all kind of relate
2: to feeling (laughs) a little
1: bit like that at times. (laughs) Um, Because my first thought was like butterflies and other kind of insects have eye spots so that if a predator attacks them, they're not attacking the vital organs. They're attacking the wing or something that may grow back or may cause less serious injury. And so that was my first thought. Like one is a decoy head and one is the real head. But if they both have brains, that could still
3: be true. Like, maybe it only needs one brain to live. Yeah, I definitely remember, like, Doduo's entry saying, either Doduo or Dugtrio's entry saying that sometimes the heads fight with each other. One of the entries said that in, like, an earlier Pokemon game. (laughs) Like, they do get upset and fight with each other. So, like, that is a really good question (laughs) now that I'm thinking about it. Maybe it's like really social animals, and that way
2: they, you know, they always so have like a keep tiny. each other company. Yeah.
0: I was gonna say going back to the the topic of human impact, it could because like there are two headed snakes and like two other two headed like animals that we encounter. They're rare, but maybe it's a situation where mm. humans want like the uh-huh. two headed duo or duck trio, and they're like, let's keep these around and like help them and raise them in more like less lethal environments so they survive
1: definitely or like i don't know it does kind of seem nice to never be alone which is cute Mm -hmm. and like if one were to take a nap you know and the other one's kind of like remaining vigilant and watching for predators um that would be a huge evolutionary advantage like you bend down and get food from the ground while the other one watches like you're constantly
2: yeah and you
1: both are have the same like You don't want a predator to get you. Sometimes in nature you'll be like, Oh, we kind of want a predator to attack the sick thing and not us, Mm -hmm. kind of like we want to survive, you know? Mm -hmm. But you're the same animal, so you like have the exact same interests at heart, even if there's a little bit of fighting.
2: By the way, I just I I looked up the word for um for being having multiple heads. It's polycephaly, which I thought was cool.
0: Many heads. Mm
2: -hmm. I think
3: also it could be possible that it initially started off as like a mutation that wasn't supposed to like actually be passed on to any future members of the of the species. But then, you know, maybe it turned out to be advantageous in some way or due to human involvement, it continued to like that the trait continued to be passed on. So now just all of them have multiple heads.
0: Could also be an environmental toxin that keeps oh,
3: man.
0: giving them two heads. <laughs> There's like the cyclopia, which I think would happen with some with some cows that were eating certain plants. And so all their kids would, all their babies would have like just one eye because of a chemical that they were Mm. eating. It's another possibility.
3: So the next two questions, um, a kind of, like have a similar answer um i'm just gonna read them out here so one is from tweep whose favorite pokemon is gengar good choice top tier pokemon and they're asking how pokemon evolve from training specifically our favorite um favorite pokemon gengar um, and then christian whose favorite pokemon is garchomp is asking about pokemon like Inkey who evolve in weird ways an example of that in the real world so all of these questions kind of like you know flow in together and have like kind of the same answer um but is there anything else that you'd like to point out
1: yeah we kind of talked about um like the ants in like a colony how not all of them are reproducing and how there's different stages that could be seen as maybe like a stage one evolution compared to like a stage two with the inke example like of something like triggering an evolution of sorts in the real world i think often we see kind of Dramatic or extreme uh, morphological changes in an animal when um, when it's time to reproduce or when they become sexually mature. So, like birds, from when they're born to like males co- like donning kind of like really flamboyant colorations, or um, fish grow like protrusions and things like that when it's time to reproduce. And maybe that's just to attract attention from the opposite sex um, and reproduce, or if it's to like actually build a nest or something like that. So I was thinking of like Andronomus salmonids. So on the West coast, salmonids, like salmons. If you've seen examples, like when they're in the ocean, they kind of look like a typical salmon, but then when it's time to migrate back to their natal spawning waters, which is where they were born, they kind of go through these extreme shifts where their mouths take on like a beak shape. They change colors. They don't eat. Um, You'll see them with like chunks of like skin missing and muscle missing because They're so overwhelmed by this, like, urge to reproduce and get back to their waters that they kind of, like, don't do anything else. So, like, a long-winded way of saying, like, extreme examples and changing kind of, like, rapidly for animals would be kind of tied to reproduction in my mind.
0: I just think that there's, like, a dangerous chemical in, like, when you, like, because you have to put the Pokemon in the Pokeballs and they go through, like, a computer system to, like, be traded. Is that right? Yep, dangerous chemical in there.
1: Yeah, have you guys had an episode about what goes on inside of a pokeball?
0: That I would think be maybe w- to me. maybe the original cast like hypothesized about it, but I don't remember anything physics based or uh, science based like really heavy science based going into it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, need a physicist. They're like tr- yeah, the process of getting transferred, transformed into like a beam of light might change their genetics a bit. <laughs>
0: Does this mean before trading was happening that there were never any Gengars around?
1: That is interesting because you use that link cord in Hisui to kind of get a Gengar instead. But I wonder what that was like mimicking. Like, I don't know much about what a link cord actually is. Besides that we back in the day used to have actual link cords to connect our Game Boy Colors (laughs) to trade Pokemon. (laughs) And I know that's the item based off that, but... I don't know what's going on in the item in Hisui.
0: Ferrando, whose favorite Pokemon is Radicate, says, I heard that beavers have iron deposits in their teeth. What caused the enamel to become that way? And I think this can be related to Pokemon because we have Pokemon like Radicate and Rotata and other um, Pokemon that have teeth or other external features like horns and stuff that probably have deposits of non-carbon based elements within them. Babaril. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not
1: a favorite of mine, but looked really cute actually in Hisui, I will say. Yeah, I was looking up a little bit about this because I didn't know specifically about beavers not being a um the best mammologist in the world or anything like that. But some chitons, which are like hard to describe, but basically like armored slugs in mar- in like a marine environment in the ocean, they accumulate this mineral called Santa Barbarite, if you can believe it in their teeth. And they use them to like scrape against rocks to get all the algae and other stuff that's good off of them. So definitely not unique necessarily to rodents, but people also have trace elements in our body, like calcium and iron and magnesium zinc. Like I kind of forget that too, but that's fascinating. So I would say like eradicate and things that this wouldn't be unprecedented. I was reading a little bit about the beavers too, and it helps prevent, um, mechanical damage just from like eating really hard things so that's pretty cool you could imagine that other pokemon that do something similar are using them for the same reason
0: alistair dx whose favorite pokemon is Passimian, asks has fungus adapted similarly to fungi in the real world i've been learning more about fungus and bacteria so this is something interesting to me
1: I am also not a fungi person, um, kind of really pigeonholing myself into fish and other kind of vertebrates. But um I would say that like even though I know they're not quite plants, um, knowing that they're different than like our traditional vascular plants, that plants or other animals or even like rocks kind of coincidentally looking like other animals isn't necessarily uncommon. I was thinking of um, you know those dolphin succulents. Have you guys seen those?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. They
1: kind of mm-hmm. look like a jumping dolphin, and clearly the succulent has never met a dolphin, and the dolphins never met the succulent. So <laughs> kind of just like a coincidence that something looks like something else. Um, it is kind of cute that Fungus maybe was the inspiration for the Pokeball. It said this is yet to be determined.
2: And then uh, the next question is a guy who plays Cuban Thres, who's famous, uh, whose uh, favorite Pokemon is Mewtwo said, what would be the closest scientific explanation to how Pikachu and Raichu
1: generate and store electric energy? Okay, now in my realm of fish, I guess, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) electric eels in the Amazon. (laughs) Like, finally I can speak on something. have a series of organs. They have these They have these three really cool organs that are kind of found along their body length that are used to generate electricity. And they do that by passing positively charged sodium ions into these potassium channels. So humans and other animals are full of electrical impulses, but they're just using that naturally occurring kind of signaling for electricity in our bodies to kind of like store it and discharge it at will which is really cool. And I didn't know this actually, but there's a whole genus called torpedo, which is like the coolest genus name I've ever heard of a a torpedo genus of rays and other cartilaginous fishes. And they also like exhibit shock. So not just the electric eels, but fishes in general kind of do this to varying extents, just the electric eel is the strongest shocker. I love that. And that's, that's super cool.
0: Well, y'all, that's all the questions that we had uh, for Max today. So uh, thank you, Max, for coming and talking evolution with us again. I hope things are going well on the science realm for you and that hopefully we can have you back again at some point to talk more evolution or more fish. So,
1: Yeah, it was a pleasure. And let me know if you ever want me to theorize on ghost Pokemon or what goes inside of a <laughs> Pokeball. I'm fascinated by that too. And maybe it'd be good homework for me.
3: Yeah, definitely. I like Ghost Pokemon are some of my favorite. Um, we'll definitely love to to chat about ghost Pokemon sometime. If we can plan that out.
0: Well, listeners, thank you for submitting questions and thank you for listening. Uh we will see you again next week with another episode of Pika Science. Bye. So uh bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.